Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. I'd like to invite you to join me at a party. Sounds a lot, huh? Not just a party, but like a fancy party. A soiree. Think of the nicest wedding you've been to and the nicest reception of that wedding. Glasses are clinking and people are celebrating. Hors d'oeuvres are making their way around the room. We're all avoiding the little cocktail wieners but going for those other things. Is that... I don't know, it's fried, but it's good. What is it? I don't know, but you should have one. You look around, and when you're at that party, you know immediately who the important people are in any party. You know. You look around, and you've tried your best. You're wearing, well, you're wearing the only suit you have, or you're wearing the dress that seems to fit a little less than it fit last time, but it still works. But you know the important people at the party because it's the, the man who looks like he may have gotten his suit tailored today. It fits him so perfectly. How does it give him that V shape in his upper body? Does he work out or is it just the suit? And you see the woman in her little black dress that seems like it was just made for her. And she has her minimalist jewelry, enough to show you that she has it, but also enough to show you she doesn't need more to be beautiful. We know. We know that they're the important ones. We know how this works because in our culture, in this party, we know that you dress for the role you desire. Some of you are in there in your head right now thinking, no, I don't know if I can tell who's important at a party. I don't know if I can tell you. I'm not sure I know, does that person matter more than that? Is that person wealthier? I don't know if I can tell. I'll give you a little trip. When I was in college, I had to take Italian. I had to be fully fluent in Italian to graduate. And the Italians taught me many things. The only one I remember is that Italians always look at your shoes. That at any party, you can see 10 men in their identical black suits. But if you look at their shoes, some are scuffed and some are nice, some are quite nice. And you can get a sense. You see that woman in her black dress and that woman in her little black dress, and yet you can look and see who's got shoddy heels and who's got those heels that look like they took just a little longer to get into. You know. You know by looking at someone's shoes, and you know by looking at someone's shoes that maybe that suit isn't from Italy, but is that Iowa? and you know not to give them more attention. You also know who the servers are in the room, don't you? You know the server with their plate of hors d'oeuvres. You know the server bringing over two more drinks. You know the server because they wear markedly different clothes than everyone else. They have on that cheap tuxedo vest-looking thing that they hate wearing, but they have to wear it so you know that they're not of us. And they also have an apron. Sometimes they have the short apron so they can keep little things in their pockets, but sometimes it's that long floor-length apron, the really formal apron. But you know. Even if they sat down the tray of appetizers and the drinks and they tried to blend in with the rest of the party, you would know because, because of that apron. You'd know. Because the apron is the outfit of a servant. Everything about the apron is lowly. Nobody wears an apron into a party and expects to do anything other than serve. 
someone in an apron is just a little bit lower on the cultural totem pole than everyone else. Let's be honest. Apron wearers, they exist to serve non-apron wearers. They exist to serve the people in the finely tailored suit and in the brand new high heels. They exist to serve others. Here's the thing about the kingdom that we are entering. Here's the thing about the party we've been invited to with Jesus. Party in the upstream kingdom of God has a different dress code than the party you get invited to in the world. And to be totally honest, I feel a little foolish at the moment. This is not how we dress for a kingdom party. This is how we dress for a worldly party. This is how we dress when I want to show you that I can have nice things, that I might have money or I might have power or I might have some gravitas and maybe the world should revolve around me. But this doesn't feel like, I feel like I don't meet the dress code of the Jesus party, the kingdom party. So if you give me just a minute, I'd like to maybe, let's just go all the way, right? Okay. I feel better. You feel better? Okay. Maybe that's a picture of what we're doing today. John 13. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. And when he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted. You're not going to wash my feet ever. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, Peter said, not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. And Jesus said, if you had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, Jesus says, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe and he put it back on and he went to his place at the table and he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master and rightfully so. That's what I am. But if I, the teacher and the master, wash your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, then act like it and live a blessed life. Jesus got up from the supper table, from his place of honor as the king of kings, from his place as the master and the teacher and the rabbi amongst his students. And he set aside his robe and he put on an apron. He wasn't setting aside his flowing purple king's robe. That wasn't his style but his outer garments he set aside, his dignity. A little foolish looking maybe, a little like that. He takes off his dignity, he takes off 
his outer robe and he puts on lowliness instead. He, he took off the clothes of equality and he stripped down into vulnerability. He added a humble garment of servanthood and nobody could know anything else. Because when someone is wearing an apron in your presence, the only person, the only reason they're there is to serve you. Just by show of hands, who's ever worn an apron at a job before? Yeah. CEO, is that the job? I've worn at least three. I think I'm forgetting one. I once worked at a certain Australian-themed steakhouse chain known for deep-fried onions. It was a short one, that apron. I remember it really well. It was deep enough to have your little book in it for putting your orders and stuff, but it only went down about halfway down the thigh. It's also purple. I wore a longer one when I was a waiter at an expensive Italian restaurant on the Riverwalk in San Antonio, one of those, one of those fancy ones that goes all the way down. People knew I meant business in that one. Deep pockets, a little loop on the side, just in case, you never know. Then I wore a full one for a year and a half, the full apron all the way up. It was green and had this strange mermaid-looking creature in the middle. It's been 18 months at a Starbucks wearing a green apron every day. The last day of my life at Starbucks, I came home and, and my wife and I, I was married, yes, I was married and working at Starbucks. She dealt with a lot. We had a closet in our little tiny uh, newlywed apartment, and the closet had nothing in it but my Starbucks clothing because when I'd get home from working at Starbucks, you couldn't wash out the coffee smell. And at first, you're like, isn't this incredible? We have this incredible fresh coffee smell, and then you realize that your entire house smells like burnt Starbucks coffee, and it's less pleasant. So my last day of Starbucks, I got home, and I dragged out my barbecue pit, and I got all the clothes I had worn and I put them in, and I light them with uh, lighter fluid. I fill them with lighter fluid, and I set them all on fire. And the ghosts and the goblins, he's shrieking out. <laughs> I was burning out the indignity of 18 months of not just taking custom drinks that weren't real, that people had made up and would never be satisfied by, because that was reality. But also 18 months of cleaning the toilets multiple times a day because we served coffee and brand muffins. Restaurant workers live in a high-pressure existence, no customers for hours, and then at one hour, everybody wants the best service. Restaurant workers also, I know by experience, occasionally get the 41-cent tip, because who cares? Apron wearers are associated with lowliness. Whether we think it or not, whether we look at them that way or not, when we wear an apron, when we see someone in an apron, we know that they exist to serve somebody. Any argument between a person in an apron and a person without an apron always goes to the person without the apron. Higher on the status chart, higher in the positional rankings of the world, you can't win an argument in an apron because why? Customer's always right. So we go back to the scene and we see Jesus washing feet. Some of you got uncomfortable when my feet showed up today. I did. Imagine living in the Middle East Hygiene's poor, sandals on. Jesus washes feet and it strikes us for what it is. It's this admirable serving moment where Jesus is willing to get into kind of the worst of the grossest to show his disciples what their life is going to be like. 
But we sometimes miss the metaphor, don't we? What Jesus does in washing feet is a picture of his ultimate ministry. This is the picture, if you zoom out a little bit, this is his whole life is washing feet. Jesus gets off the throne of heaven, he tosses aside the royalty that he was wearing, and he comes to earth undignified and vulnerable. He lives in poverty, is homeless, and reviled. Jesus comes low to find us. Do you see it? Jesus takes off his robes of righteousness and he puts on our shame instead. He takes off his kingship and he puts on our shame. He puts on our sin. He takes up our cross. He climbs into, as a dead man, a borrowed tomb. Jesus gets lower to save us. Why and what for? Why? So that we might join him in this kingdom, so that we might join the upside-down party he's invited us to. It's not a kingdom of fine attire and high status. It's not a kingdom of climbing the ladder and trying to be more important. Jesus said, enough of that. I'm through with that. I'm sick of that. Jesus is weary of the wicked world's crooked agenda. Jesus is done with the clothes of privilege, and instead he said he's ready to put on the attire of humility, and if we are to follow him, we have to do the same. Jesus is robe-weary and apron-ready. Jesus chose the clothes of servanthood. Jesus chose the posture of a lowly servant. As the path to lift us up, that was the path. The path he chose was to get low. He could have done it anyway, and he chose to get low for us. The clothes of redemption and restoration was a burial shroud. So Jesus is here washing feet, but more, he's showing us his way, how he saves us in serving us. And he says, I've laid down a pattern for you. I've laid down a pattern for you. I'm showing you what you're supposed to do. This is what your life should look like. I've laid down a pattern for you. So go and do life like this. And he moves to the next disciple's foot and he washes and he looks him in the eye and he says, I've laid down a pattern for you. Church, we are to be robe weary people, apron ready people. And we could finish there. We could be done today. And if that's the last thing you hear and that's the only thing you remember, I'd be thrilled. We are to be robe-weary and apron-ready people, and yet there are two big hurdles that will keep us from ever achieving this. One is expected, the other is a little bit more surprising. So the first stumbling block to us being apron-ready people is pride. Too proud to serve. We don't want to admit this when we're too proud to admit it. I, I want to serve people like that. I mean, at least I want to want to but it sure is easier not to. It sure is more convenient not to. It sure is cleaner not to. I I want to. I want to want to. But feet, or whatever the equivalent of feet is in our culture, whatever that means, you mean I have to get undignified in front of other people in order to be like Jesus? Worked hard not to wear an apron. I never said that when I was wearing one, but I worked hard to get out of a place where I had to wear it every day. Some, some of us are thinking, I worked hard to get that corner offer, so I worked hard to get that better position. And now, washing feet? 
Jesus said it's about holiness, not hygiene. It's about holiness, not hygiene. It's not about the feet. It's about setting people aside. It's about being set apart. It's about living a different way. And it helps when it comes to being undignified. When it comes to squashing our pride and serving people, when it comes to trading our robes for aprons, our issue today is not hygiene. We don't have to deal with the stuff he had to deal with. We live in a very nicely showered society. We have fresheners everywhere. We put them on every day. They're in our cars. They're in our homes. Everything smells like summer lilac or fall, winter rain, amber, beech wood, everything. You have your favorite. You brought your favorite out because it's fall. So somebody right now has a pumpkin spice candle in their home. They just can't wait to light again. So what is undignified? If undignified in our culture isn't dealing with the grossness of the body or the disgustingness of a a Middle Eastern foot 2,000 years ago, what does it mean to become undignified? Is it certain types of work? Is it certain sorts of people? If I was seen associating with those people, what would it do to the way other people see me? If I was seen loving that person, what would it tell the people that I want to like me if they see me loving that person or someone who believes that or someone who does that? Who is a little bit a little bit too repulsive for you? Who's who's one step past your comfort level of going and having a cup of coffee in public? What are they wearing? Who are they voting for? What do they smell like? How much money do they make? What is it? Where you go, I don't know that I'd I've said before I I hope I don't run into somebody here. I've said that. It's pride. How many hours would you be willing to give up? What if our indignity is not about people or or feet? What if our indignity is, is time and our efficiency and our productivity? What if washing feet in the modern world is giving away our precious time? You only get so much. It's Saturday. It's your day. You work hard to have a weekend. How many hours would you be willing to give up? What kind of work would you be willing to do? Can't we pay someone to do that, though? I mean, we work hard so we can pay someone else to do that work. Pride says, I'd love to serve, but I'd really love not to feel foolish. King David celebrated the return of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem with half-naked praise dancing. Scripture says that his wife questioned him kind of was like, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't be this insane right now. And he says in 2 Samuel, I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. It was for God. So watch. You think this is something? If it is for my God, I will be more undignified. I will be more foolish. I am willing to be whatever I need to be to show God how much I love him. Pride convinces us to put our dignity and our preferences, and oh my, what would the neighbors think? over God and his plan and his purpose and his glory. And what we need to be is more willing, foolish followers of Christ. We need to be willing for the people who matter in the cocktail party of our life to see us as foolish. The people who matter to see us as somehow off. The people who matter to wonder what we're doing with those sinners, with those tax collectors, with the prostitutes. I think I saw him sitting there with one of those people who was picketing against that thing we believe in. I think I saw her sitting there with one of those people 
who was protesting that other church, who was waving their rainbow flag and saying the other church was bigots. And I saw someone from our church sitting and having lunch with someone that was in that protest. What do you think she believes? Do you think she's on their side? What do you think's mattering right now? And what are we doing? We're so afraid of being foolish. We're so afraid of being undignified. We're so afraid of being judged and losing our positional status and power that we won't do what God has called us to do, which is reach out to those who most need their feet washed. And then we miss out on the life Jesus offers. Jesus didn't offer us comfort. He said to take off the clothes of comfort and put on the clothes of vulnerability. Take off the clothes of position and status and put on the clothes of humility. Pride pushes us to climb higher and Jesus quietly calls us lower. Pride says climb the ladder and Jesus says get to the bottom and help someone else up. The second stumbling block, the first one being pride, the second stumbling block is pride. Plot twist. Some of us have too much pride to want to be in that position. Other of us, even for prideful people, we find it easier to serve than to be served. So some of us have too much pride to be served. It's called self-sufficiency. When we serve, there's at least some social value. When you see me out doing a good thing, there's social value there. I can be seen as righteous. People think that I'm humble, even if I'm just doing it for me. You will see me out serving and they go, oh. So some of us, we want to do the thing that others might think is undignified because they go, look how righteous he is. He eats with sinners. And for some, that's a, that's a praiseworthy environment. And I go, I eat with sinners. But how hard it is to be served. Look how generous and holy I am, easy. Look how needy I am, much less. So we don't like to be, so, oh, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, but you just suffered this tragedy. You're going through this really difficult season. Can we? No, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. We're okay. We're good. We're good. You're lying. No, I'm good. We'll be fine, we say. I wouldn't want to put you out. I'm first in this line. We talk about the sin of pride and where it comes up in sneaky ways. I am first in this line every time. No, no, I'm okay. My wife has been sick on and off for the last couple of years with GI things. And I can see a progression as I go back to when it first started to then it got a little deeper and then it got a little more dicey and then, oh, no. The first time I said, I'm okay. We're okay. Please, we got this. I got this. We're strong enough. We'll figure it out. I'm cool. People are offering to bring food. No, 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 we're good. People are offering to take my kids. No, no, they're fine. By the second time, I waited a day. And people offered, and I said, actually, I might, um, I mean, we'll, we'll be fine, but you, yeah, I mean, if that makes you feel better to help me, then you can feel better. <laughs> By the third time, I was making the phone calls. Because it's delusional that we don't need help. It's delusional that we don't need each other. It's delusional that I'm okay, and I'm fine, and I'm good. It's pride that says, maybe I'm enough. Maybe I don't need help. Maybe I don't need anyone else in this. Maybe I'm good enough. I'll be fine. It's fine. It's not fine. Can we stop pretending? Someone needs to hear today. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. 
It's really hard in our country. Western values, we celebrate Independence Day. Independence Day. Independence Day. Our top value, if you poll Americans, is freedom. I'm independent. I'm free. I don't need anybody to help me out. Most of us equate freedom with self-sufficiency. The government can stay out of my business. I got this. It's not how Jesus defines freedom. So you and I stumble through in our prideful eyes and we have to imagine the horror of being reliant on someone. Imagine the horror of being poor, needy, of needing those boxes in the foyer to fill up with personal hygiene items and changes of underwear and self-serve, single-pack breakfast foods, not because we want to do a good thing and fill those boxes to help the needy in our community, but because what if I'm the needy in our community? I really hope those boxes fill because otherwise my kids don't eat this week. Imagine being reliant. And yet there we are. That's who we are. In the core of who we are, we are reliant, we are poor, we are powerless, we are needy, and we've convinced ourselves with stuff, with suits and ties and with microwaves and dishwashers, we've convinced ourselves with stuff that we've got this and we don't have this. We are in desperate need of rescue once and then every day. We are people that are stuck in sin. We are people that were destined for death. And then who shows up? Who shows up when our pride is overflowing? Who shows up and says, I can get low for you? Who shows up robe weary and apron ready? Who is the hero to come and save the day? Who loved us before we were worthy and who served us with the sacrifice of himself? When we see our pride and we see ourselves honestly, things start to change. When we see our pride too good to serve or too good to be served, and we begin to see ourselves honestly, our life begins to change. Our fear of serving is rooted in being unimportant and lost and forgotten and overlooked. I don't want to serve lest I be the person in the apron at the cocktail party that no one even sees. Jesus sees. Jesus says you matter. Jesus says I see you. Our fear of being served is a fear of not being enough, not being worthy, not being sufficient, not being enough to carry myself through the day. And Jesus says you're worthy and I carry you. I see you and I love you. Because while our life shouts that I have it all together, that I don't need anything, that I'm fine, that I'm good, our souls whisper, I have nothing left. When you scale back the pride, when you peel off all the pride, when you peel off all the layers and say, I'm good, I'm fine, I got this. In the depth of each and every soul, of every human being, the whisper to the Lord is, I have nothing left. I need saving, I need rescuing, I need you, Lord. 
Our soul remembers our darkest nights and our hardest fights and our deepest loneliness. So before we can ever be smaller and slower and lesser and lower, before we can be a robe-weary, apron-ready people, before we can serve radically, we have to be rescued, truly. So for some of us in the room, this is a first-time rescue. You've said, you know what, I've, I've kind of uh, I've affirmed the Jesus thing, or I've played the Christian part, or I've, I, I kind of pretended along the way. Today stops. Stop pretending. Your soul is whispering that you need rescue, and rescue is available when you put your faith in the person of Jesus. So maybe today is your first time to do that, to truly say, I need rescue. I can't do this. I've been dressed up, acting the part for way too long. And today I need to say, I am in need. Others here need to be rescued again. Others in here, men, we were rescued once and we've slowly started putting on the clothes of pride again. We've slowly started trying to make ourselves look like we're somebody again and we need to be rescued a second time and maybe a third and fourth and fifth and every day from here on out. We need to be rescued from our own willingness to put the pride back on. What we know is that in the fight that you're in today and everybody is in a battle. Jesus sees you. He sees your scars. He hears your cries. And what we need to see today is we need to see him searching for us. Getting low for us. We need to see Jesus searching and then arriving and finding us to fight for us Find us. We need to see the robe, weary, apron, ready Savior walking into our broken existence and saying, I will rescue you. And he holds out his hand and he invites you into life like you've never known it before. He's ready. He is seeking you and he is serving you. And if you are willing, he is saving you. Jesus sees you. He will stop at nothing to find you. So will you find him today? Will you find your rescue? Let this song be the song from his heart to yours. Your moment of rescue because we're all in need. you in the middle of the darkest night. 
there is no distance I cannot be covered over and over You're not defenseless I'll be your shelter I'll be your to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.